the book of Romans this morning, I'm super excited to, to, to go through the book of Romans with you guys. I'm just uh, beyond uh, just <laughs> excited. Uh, the book of Romans is, is just this uh, amazing, beautiful book in the Bible. Um, and, and really, just uh, as a brief introduction, so we see that the book of Romans is, is the letter to the church that was at Rome. It was written by, by Paul the Apostle. Uh, it was one of 13, or 14 if you, if you count Hebrews, but it was one of 13 letters written by Paul, also known as an epistle. Um, as far as all the letters that were written by Paul, those 13 or 14 if you count Hebrews, the book of Romans is the sixth letter that was written by Paul. It was preceded by First uh, and Second Thessalonians, uh, Galatians, First uh, and Second Corinthians, and it's Romans. And so we see that, that, that Romans, the book of Romans, was written by Paul while he was actually at Corinth. Mm-hmm. So Paul didn't write this while he was at, at Rome, and Paul didn't write this you know, while, while, while he was even in prison. It's not one of the, 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 the prison epistles, but Paul wrote this letter to the church that was at the, in the city of Rome while Paul was at Corinth, somewhere around 57 or 58 A.D. And so according to, to the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts in parallel with the book of Romans and, and just kind of the, the events that are going on, according to the book of Acts, if, uh, Paul was saved on the Damascus Road there in Acts chapter 9, somewhere around 35 A.D. And so then that means that, that uh, he would have been in ministry for about 20 to 23 years when he penned the book of Romans. So we're getting the book of Romans from, from Paul, uh, and there's 20 years of just seasoned ministry behind this this letter behind this epistle and, and and you see it as we go through it, it is just this a uh, deep doctrinal just beautiful uh letter that that, that is just uh, inspired by the holy spirit and so uh, uh, paul writes writes this again with uh, with around 20 minutes uh, 20 years sorry i'm really excited but 20 years of of just ministry experience behind all of this now no one knows exactly uh, who established that church at Rome. It wasn't Paul. Uh, Paul actually never went to, to, to Rome to establish that church. Uh, church. He was at Rome uh, in, the, in the latter part of his life while he was facing trial. And it was where he was eventually beheaded and died. But Paul never went to, went to Rome to establish a church. And so no one really knows exactly who established uh, the church at Rome. But it's believed that, that, it, that it was established by a group of believers uh, who, who got saved or heard the gospel at the day of Pentecost. From Acts chapter one, and then took the gospel back, uh, back to Rome, and where where a, a home church is sprouted out. And so, more than just one church, there was actually many churches there. There in Rome, Rome was huge. And so, again, it's it believed that that there was a, just a group of believers, unknown believers, that took the gospel back uh, to Rome, where where, where this where this uh, church was established. Now, there at Rome, there was a strong community of Jewish believers, and, and as well as as Gentile believers, meaning non-Jews. There at Rome and, 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 and at the church there at Rome. And so uh, at that time, again, there was also this, this expulsion of the, of the Jewish Christians from Rome by Claudius in uh, 49 or 50 AD. And so there was this strong presence of, of, of Christian Jews at Rome. As the, as the gospel was, was just spreading throughout all of Asia Minor, it, it, it got to Rome and there was a just strong presence of Christians, both Jews and Gentiles. Now again, in 49 through 50 AD, there was an expulsion by, by, by the Roman Emperor Claudius. Right? And so a, a lot of these Jews had to flee their hometown to Rome. Uh, two of them that, that we know by name uh, is, this, is a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And they're in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 actually tells us about this couple named Priscilla and Aquila who had been part of that expulsion from Rome. 
And we're told that, 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 that they left Rome because of this expulsion, but then they later returned to Rome and, and they had a church in their home. And, and this church in their home was flourishing, right? Back then, the churches weren't buildings like this. They didn't have to go pay rent somewhere. I mean, it, someone just started a Bible study in their home. Uh, believers met at the homes and they just worshiped Jesus at the home. And so churches were at homes. And so we're told about this couple, Priscilla and, and Aquila, that, that they had a church in their home. Uh, Paul mentions them. Then Romans 16.5, Paul would say, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And so we see that Paul's primary purpose in writing the letter to the Romans was, one, to teach the great truths of the gospel of grace to the believers. More than uh, to correct any, any false doctrine that, that had come up. And, and really, the, this, the book of Romans is different than, than any, other, uh, any of, the, of the other epistles that Paul wrote. Because Paul didn't write it with the intention to correct any false doctrine. Like he would at, at, uh, at, at some of the other churches. He didn't write it to, to correct some simple practice uh, like, like he did with the, with the church at Corinth. He didn't write it to, to kind of uh, maybe uh, impart to him some, I don't know, some, some type of correction. No. But he wrote to them. He wrote to them to kind of just uh, establish them in their faith, and because it was such a strong uh, church spiritually and, and, and doctrinally, he wrote to them more to just encourage them in that doctrine. And so, again, unlike some of Paul's other epistles, his purpose for writing was not to correct some heresy or simple practice, but but really just to to, to exhort them in their in their doctrinally sound teaching. Now, interesting that the book of Romans is is the longest of Paul's letters. Of those 13 or 14 letters that Paul wrote, uh, Romans is the longest. It includes 7,114 words in the book of Romans. And we're going to teach through every single one of those. Now, Romans has been called by, by Romans has, has been called many things by many people who have read it, who have studied it, who have taught it, who have had their lives trans, transformed by it. Romans has been called the, the prophylactic Meaning that, that, that it has something that guards against infection. The book of Romans has been called the cathedral of Christian faith. Meaning, man, the, just the climax of, of, of Christian faith. The book of Romans has been called uh, the masterpiece of the New Testament. The book of Romans, again, just it, it, it's, it's been called the gospel itself. The, the gospel according to grace. The, 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 the book of Romans is called the gospel. Right? Interesting that, that's, that Socrates said to Plato some 500 years before, before Jesus was born. He said, it may be that the deity, speaking about God, he said, it may be that the deity can forgive sins, but I do not see how. And interesting that, that Paul answers that in the book of Romans. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It was, a book of, it was during the, book of, the reading of the book of Romans that, 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 that Martin Luther was brought to this, uh, this Protestant Reformation. And as Martin Luther for, for years read this verse, the righteous shall live by faith or the just shall, shall live by faith. Uh, it, it, history tells us that he was plagued by these words and, and he, 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 he grew to, to hate these words because he recognized how unrighteous he was. And he, came, and he would just read this over and over. The just shall live by faith. The, the, the just shall live by faith. The, the just shall live by faith. And he would just play by, plagued by this day and night. He couldn't sleep. Right? And so 
We see that as he was plagued and he began to, to hate these words. One day it just dawned on him and he, he began to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift of God. Right? It's a gift of God by which a man lives. And, and, and Luther's discovery was that he no longer needed to look to his own works, his own behavior, or his own obedience to determine his standing before God. He would just kind of hit with this, uh, this, this enlightenment. He recognized, man, he says, it's, it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on my performance. It's not dependent on what I do. It's not dependent on my faithfulness. But it's dependent on God's faithfulness. And, and His righteousness is imparted to the believer who comes to Him by faith. Right? You know, he was hit with it. He was just enlightened with this. He would say this about the, uh, about the book of Romans. He would say, it is the true masterpiece of the New Testament. It is the very purest gospel, which is well worthy and deserving that a Christian man should not only learn it by heart, word for word, but also that he should daily deal with it as a daily bread of men's souls. For it can never be too much or too well read or studied. And the more it handles, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And really, it's my prayer this morning and as we go through the book of Romans, it's my prayer that as we read as we read through and as we study through the book of Romans, uh, that our hearts and lives will be transformed and that we would grow deeper in our walks with the Lord and be able to just rest fully in His grace. I mean, I was so blessed last night just even studying this introduction. I'm like, man, this is amazing. I can't believe we get to teach this. And so no, without further ado, but verse 1 on chapter 1 of the book of Romans, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so, stopping right there, we see that, 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 that Paul, uh, he identifies himself at the, at the very beginning of the letter. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind that, 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 that in those days, uh, unlike you know, how we write letters today, now when we write a letter, we, we typically put our name, we sign our name at the very bottom. Right? Back, in, back in those days, it was, uh, it was, it was customary to, uh, when you write a letter, to, to start off with, with an introduction of yourself. Keep in mind that back then they didn't have books, they didn't have a, a, a paper that they wrote on like this. It was scrolls. And so if a person wrote their name at the very end of the letter like we do now, the person would have to unroll the whole scroll. See, man, let me see what this is from. Oh, it's from Paul. All right, let me roll it back up and then start reading from the, from, the, from the very beginning. And so it, it, it was customary for, for, the, for the people back then to introduce themselves at the very first line. And so that's what Paul does. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He says, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through, uh, before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so Paul, he identifies himself as hey, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And, and I love that this is Paul's introduction of himself, right? Keep in mind that, that, that Paul hadn't been to Rome at this time, you know, at, at the time that the letter was written. But no doubt the church at Rome knew who he was. He was like, man, the most famous preacher at the time, right? And we would liken him to like the Billy Graham of, of those days. I mean, Paul was just a, a fireball. The Lord was just using him mightily, right? He was going from, from, from town to town there in Asia Minor, establishing churches, starting riots because, because, of, because of his preaching of Jesus Christ, um, getting persecuted, getting chased out, getting beaten up, uh, multiple attempts on his, on his life to kill him, right? Because of his, 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 uh, his testimony of Jesus Christ. Paul was, <laughs> you call him like kind of this famous, famous believer, right? Everyone knew Paul. Right? Even though, so even though he had never been to, the, to Rome at this time when he wrote the letter, they all knew who he was. And so he identifies himself as Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, I love that, that, that Paul, as he, as he opens up his letter, he says, hey, it's Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. 
he identifies himself as the bondservant of Jesus. Interesting that this word bondservant, your, your Bible might just say servant, depending on what translation you have. But, but really the Greek word is bondservant, which is in the Greek doulos. Now, this word doulos or bondservant in the Greek, it means uh, to be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. It's also uh, defined as a willing servant or a willing slave. Now keep in, keep in mind that, that, that back in those days, slavery was practiced, right? And now it's not the, when you think about slavery, don't think about you know, you know, the history of the United States and, and, and something based on, 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 on racial or, 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 or ethnicity. Back in those days, and even in, in, uh, even further back in the Old Testament, uh, we see that even the Lord gave them laws concerning slavery. But slavery back then was never dependent or never based on uh, the color of someone's skin or their ethnicity, but it was always based on a debt. And so back in those days, if a person uh, got into debt with, with, with somebody and they couldn't pay it off, then what they would do is, is that they would work for that person. And they would be their servant. They would be their slaves for seven years. It, it, it tells in the Old Testament that, that that would be for seven years. And after those seven years, no matter if the debt was paid or not, the, the, the master, they, he had to let the slave go. He couldn't keep him past seven years. Uh, after seven years, he had to forgive him of, of all his debts. Right? Now, it, sometimes it would happen that, that as a person became indebted to another, to their master, and they would work for them for those seven years. They'd work for them, and, and, and we see that, that the Lord had specific laws for the Jews concerning a slave and a master. And, he, and, and the Lord would, would write to the master and say, look, if you have a slave working under you, a servant, make sure you treat him right. Make sure you know, he gets all his meals. Make sure he gets you know, a, a, a fair, fair treatment. If, if uh, while he's working for you, you know, he, he, he marries one of your other servants or one of your other workers, and they have a family, you have to provide for their whole family. And so the, the Lord had laws to protect the servants or, or, the, or the slaves. And so along that whole process, if one of the servants or slaves is working for his master, seven years comes up, my debt is paid, and he says, man, you know what? I've worked for this guy for seven years. He's been good to me. He's, we became friends. I mean, it's steady work. It's a job security. He's taking care of my whole family. Look, I started here and I came single. Now I have my wife and my three kids. He's like, man, he's, he's a good boss. He's a, and, and if uh, along that process, the servant says, I want to work for this guy forever. You know, even though I, I, don't, I, don't owe my, I don't owe him anything anymore because he's just taking care of me. And, and you know, I love him so much because we, we, we got close. Then the, the person would now become a bond servant, meaning a willful slave or a willful servant. And he would go to the master, they would make an agreement, and the, and the master, he would pierce the ear of the slave, he would hold it to the doorpost, he would pierce his ear, and it would be a, a, a sign, a symbol to every single person who saw that, who, who saw that servant and say, hey, look, he belongs to him, he's a, he's a willful servant, a willful slave, right? It's a bond servant, meaning like it's his love servant, it's, it, it, it's more of a friendship. And so Paul opens up his letter by identifying himself as, hey, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a willful servant of the Lord Jesus. I'm a willful slave. I'm, in, I'm forever indebted to him, and I've given my life to him, uh, 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 willfully given my life to him for his service. He's Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now, I love that Paul, with his reputation, I mean, he could have opened this letter any other way. He could have said, Paul, uh, the greatest church planter who ever lived, Paul, the greatest apostle who ever lived. Paul, the man whom God has used the most. Paul, the man who's discipled all these guys. Timothy, Silas, Apollos, all these guys. Paul, uh, the, I used to be the first. I mean, he could have used any other title to kind of build himself up. And, and rightfully so. I mean, he had the right to. He was all these things. But no, instead he says, hey, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Amazing. Instead, he identifies himself as a willing slave 
of Jesus Christ. Paul's glory wasn't in his titles. Paul's glory wasn't in his achievements. Paul's glory wasn't in his accomplishments. But Paul's glory was in the fact that his identity was found in Christ. And so he says, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. Now, we see that, 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 that with that, the Bible tells us that, that God is not interested in our titles or positions. Right? When I die and I go to heaven... God's not going to receive me as, oh, there's Pastor Angel. Come here. I got to save you a seat in the front row. I'll be lucky if I get uh, the, some seat way in the back row there or in the nosebleed section. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be blessed just to be in heaven. Right? God, doesn't, God is not a respecter of persons. God is not a respecter of titles or positions. We put an emphasis on, their, on those things. We put an, an importance on titles and positions and roles. God doesn't. God sees us all as, as equal. Right? God is not interested in our titles or positions or our earthly accomplishments or on, on what we did for Him. I, I'm not going to go to heaven one day and be like, Lord, you saw those, all those sleepless nights. Lord, you saw all those hours that, that we were laboring away in the city Lord, come on. You know me, right? Come on. We've been, I've been laboring away. He's not going to care. He's not going to take those things into account. We see that, that, that the only title that the Lord respects is bond servant. Right? Servant. That's it. God's not interested in any of those things. And, and, when, and with that said, the highest title you can give yourself or you can receive is not pastor. Right? Some people think that. Some people look at the church and, and, they, and they see it as this corporation. They think, oh, I'm going to come in and I'm going to start off, you know, on the lowest position. Maybe mopping the floors and cleaning the restrooms. Then eventually, you know, I'll start, uh, I'll, start, uh, I'll start doing the children's ministry. And then from there, hopefully I get promoted and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do the sound. And then one day, if I'm good and faithful enough then one day I'll be up there teaching right but some people come to the church with that mentality they're like oh, I talk about positions and titles and rankings and really we see that the highest title anyone can give you and the highest title you can really give yourself is this title of bond servant this title of willful servant not pastor or worship leader or evangelist or minister or, or, or missionary or prophet whatever no the highest title you can receive is bond servant Right, the Bible tells us that, that that our aim should be when 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 we die and we're face to face with the Lord, we all want to hear those those words those words of the Lord Jesus saying, "Hey, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant." Right, that's the only title that the Lord's going to acknowledge and recognize. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not well done, my good and faithful pastor, missionary, all these things. No, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so Paul, again, he says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be. An apostle. Called to be an apostle. Now, Paul considered himself to be a servant before an apostle. I like that. I like that he, that, that, that he said, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Not Paul, an apostle, called to be a bondservant. Because it's always that way. We're always servants first before we're anything else. And so Paul considered himself to be a servant before anything else. Before uh, uh, an apostle, before, this, before a teacher, before anything else. He's all, hey, I'm just a servant. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called to be an apostle, right? But, but, but even in his title of apostle, I mean, even, even his title of apostle wasn't, wasn't from himself. He says, hey, I, I didn't give myself this title. I didn't just jump into this position. He says, I was called by God to be an apostle. And he really was. Now, if, 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 you're, if, if you're wondering what apostle means, uh, the word apostle or in the Greek is apostolos. It means a delegate. Uh, a messenger, uh, one sent forth with orders. It, it, it's also a title given specifically uh, to, to the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and, and it's also applied, it's a title applied uh, in a broader sense to uh, what we know as somebody who's, who's sent out to do the work of God, uh, like a missionary, right? It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of apostleship, meaning, meaning the, the, the missionary, which is the, the, the gift, uh, the specific gift that, that, that the Holy Spirit gives to specific believers. Um, and he gives them the ability to, to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ in a culture that is not their own. In, in an effective way, in such a way that people hear the message and they come to know the Lord. But, but Paul is identifying himself as an apostle. He's saying, hey, I was called to be an apostle of God. Right? And he really was. And interesting that there in Acts chapter 9, the whole chapter, we, right, we, have, we have Paul's story of how he became to be Paul. Right? How he began to be, to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with Paul's story, right, he wasn't always called Paul. But he was called Saul. And he used to glory in that. Saul would call himself, Paul would call himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. Right? He's like, hey man, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I studied under, 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 under Gamaliel, one of, the, one of the, 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 the smartest, one of the most reputable uh, Jewish teachers, Jewish Pharisees. Right? He would glory in the fact that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was named after the first king of, of Israel. And, and he was from the same tribe as the first king of Israel. He would glory in his, in his earthly knowledge, in his earthly wisdom, in his earthly studies. But there in Acts chapter 9, we have the story of Paul when he was persecuting Christians. Because he, him in his, in his zeal, he thought he was serving God by persecuting these Christians. Because he, he thought that they were preaching some heresy. Right? When they were preaching that Jesus Christ had rose from the dead and that he was God's Messiah, God's Christ. He said, no, wait, man, those guys are off. Right? They're causing people to, 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 to not worship God and to worship Jesus. And, and Paul thought, he's like, man, these people are all off. But he didn't, it hadn't clicked in his head yet. So he begins to persecute the church. Uh, we're told there in, in the book of Acts that he goes into Jerusalem, begins to, to kill all the believers. As a result, the, the, the church there at Jerusalem split. They all, they all pretty much fled for their lives. And as Paul was on his way to, 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 to Damascus, as he was persecuting more Christians, trying to throw some in jail, trying to kill some, we're told that he had an encounter with the living Christ. And as he had this encounter with the living Christ, we're told that he's on the road to Damascus. Uh, 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 the risen Christ appears to him. He falls to, to, he, 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 he falls to his back on the floor. Right? He's seen the Lord. And all of a sudden it just hits him. Right? And we're told there in Acts 9.6 it says, So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The story goes on to tell us there in Acts chapter 9 that, that Paul, uh, he actually became blind as he saw the glory of the Lord, the glory of the risen Christ. But, but what he saw that day shook him for the rest of his life and he knew, man, I, I've, been, I've been persecuting the body of Christ. I've been, I've been persecuting the true believers of God. Right? And he recognized that he was wrong. And, and in that moment, he gave his life to the Lord. And so we're told that, 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 that he went to the city, he was blind, and then a, 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 a disciple by the name of, of Ananias went and he said, hey, brother, brother Saul, receive your sight. Right, the Lord healed him, and from that moment on, Paul was just on fire for the Lord. He never looked back. We're told later on that as Paul was, was a ministry and doing, just doing work with the rest of the believers, the rest of the apostles, we're told this in Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3. We're told that all the disciples were one day just praying. And we're told that as they ministered to the Lord and they fasted, that the Holy Spirit said to them, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Right. And so Paul, again, he says, Paul, a bondservant with Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. He didn't call himself. God called him. Right? What he was doing, uh, it, it, was, it didn't come from him. It came from, from the calling of God on his life. Right? And so then he also says, separate it. Separate it to the gospel of God. Now Paul recognized that, that this was his calling in life. 
You look, I'm a bond servant. I was called, and I've been separated for this specific task, for the gospel of God. Right? He recognized that this is what I was made for. This is what I was born to do. I was born to, 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 to be sent out and to just share the gospel of God throughout the whole world. He would say this in Galatians 1.15. He would say, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Right? And, and, and so Paul recognized that, that this calling that, that God placed on his life, it didn't happen that moment on the road to Damascus. It didn't happen when he received his sight. It didn't happen when the, when the believers were, when the disciples were praying and they were fasting and they laid hands on him and, and they sent him out. Paul recognized that this calling uh, upon his life was a calling that, that, was, that was placed upon his life from before he was even born. He says, from, he says, God separated me from my mother's womb and he called me through his grace. And really for every single one of us here, God has a calling on your life. You're no, you're no different than the Apostle Paul. Yeah, God used them mightily, but He can use you mightily as well. Right? And, 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 and there's, there's, there's nothing different uh, uh, with our calling. God knows us. He knew you from before you were even born. Right? He had a plan for your life. He had your whole life kind of thought out. Right? He knew what you were going to go through. He knew what your childhood was going to be like. He knew what your adult life was going to be like. He knew what you were going to be like in your old age. He knew every single thing about you. He knows, I should say. Right? Because God is, 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 is sovereign. And with that, uh, again, he, he places a call in our lives. It's not something that God just, all right, whips up in the moment. All right, oh man, this person's saved. Uh, let me figure out what I have for them. Uh, let me figure out what they can do. No, God has placed a calling on your life from before you were ever born. And for Paul, he was walking in that calling. He recognized it. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Right? I mean, man, what better feeling... Then to know that you are walking out the very purpose of what you were created for. That was Paul. That was Paul. He knew what God had called him to do. He knew what God was, what, what, uh, what God had, uh, had, had placed in his heart. Right? He was just walking it out. He was living it. Right? What better feeling? Right? I mean, he, he knew his very purpose for existing. The question is, do you know what you were created for? You can find out. Right? What's your purpose in life? Is it to be... The best dad and the best example to your kids and to your wife of Christ? Is it to be the best, the best example of Christ to your co-workers? Is it to, uh, to share Jesus with that, with that lady there at the bus stop? That's it. What is it? Right? It, it starts with just being obedient to that tugging of the Lord in our hearts. And, and as we are obedient to that, to that little tugging, that little nudging of the Lord in our hearts, hey, the Lord begins to just uh, uh, help us walk out right, His will for our lives. And so this was Paul. Paul knew it. And he lived it to the fullest. He knew this was who I am. This is what God saved me from. And this is what he called me to do. He said, this is what I was separated from, from before I was even in my mother's womb to do. And he lived it out. And so we see that Paul identifies himself as a servant of Christ who was called uh, to be sent out. And specifically to preach the gospel of God uh, to the Gentiles who would say later on. And so we see that Paul was so effective in ministry you know, because he was obedient to the call of God on his life. And that's a key. When God calls you to something, He empowers you with every spiritual gift necessary to walk out that calling in an effective way. When God calls you to anything, whatever it may be, if it's children, if it's maintenance, if it's 
up here pastoring, if it's whatever it may be that, that God has called you to do, He will equip you. Right? He's, in a, he's not going to send you out, right, man, uh, sink or swim. No, when God calls you, when God places a calling on your life, He's going to equip you with every spiritual tool and every spiritual gift necessary in order for you to fulfill that calling in your life. That's who God is. Right? He's not setting us up for failure. Right? I have a, uh, one of my foremen that he, man, he loves to set me up for failure. And he'll, he'll, he'll send me to do some impossible task knowing that, that I don't have the material to do it. And I'll go over there, maybe spend 30, 45 minutes, and I'm like, oh, we're like, oh, I don't have all this stuff. We'll tell him, hey, dude, uh, am I missing this? But they go, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, we didn't have that, I've got to order it. I'm like, oh, man, I spent all this time doing all this. And, right, it's like he, some, he, I don't know if he does it to get to me, to get under my skin or what, but he'll send me on this impossible mission, impossible task. I'm like, dude, <laughs> but that's not God. He won't send you to do something, or he won't put a call in your life to see you fail. No. That whatever he called you to do, he, he, thought about it from before you were ever born from the foundations of the earth right and he's going to give you every spiritual tool every every equipment you need uh to necessarily walk out that calling and so when god calls us to something again he empowers us with everything we need but this is the key paul said hey i was called and i was sent and this is the key for us being called and being sent as pastor chuck would say he would say this he says when you go he says make sure you you were sent and that you didn't just went. <laughs> and it's funny when he says that. But it's so true. He says, when you go, make sure that you were sent and not that you just went. Right? Because a lot of times we want to do all these things for the Lord. And, and, and we, do, we want to do a lot of things for the Lord that God never called us to do. Right? And, and, and when you step out and you do things that God never called you to do, it's like, all right, you do it in your own strength. And God's going to empower you for everything that he called you to do. Right? For all those things that he called you to do. When we step out in our, in our, in our own efforts, in our own endeavors, in our own, uh, with, with, with our own uh, uh, carnal ambitions, it's like, hey, man, you're on your own. All right? God's not, not going to empower you to fulfill your own carnal ambitions. Right? And so it's important to seek the Lord in everything we do, whether it's a change of jobs, whether it's you know, a ministry here at the church, whether it's you know, something at home. It's important to seek the Lord. Lord, what do you want to do in my life? Right? Like Moses said, uh, as we were studying on Wednesday nights, as he was talking to God, you guys remember what, 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 what Moses said to God? He says, God, all right. He says, I'll do this, but if your spirit doesn't go with us, then I don't want to go. He says, Lord, we don't want to go wherever your spirit is not. And really, that's the key, right? Being called, being sent, and being obedient to that calling and to that sending. But like Moses would want to say, Lord, and like Paul, Lord, wherever, we want to go wherever your spirit goes. And we don't want to go wherever your spirit is not. That's the key. And so he says, again, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So he knew what he was separated to. He says, I was separated for this, for the gospel. Right now, what is the gospel? The, that, that very word gospel in the Greek is uh, evangelion, which means good news or specifically good news of salvation through Christ. Now, the best definition of the gospel Right? We, we throw that around a lot as Christians. Oh, I'm going to go share the gospel. I'm going to tell you, we're going to go share the gospel earlier at the Irish show. We're going to go share the gospel at the park. And you might think, no, what's this guy talking about? What's the gospel? Right? And so the best definition for the gospel, uh, Paul gives it to us actually in 1 Corinthians 15, the very first verses of 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. And then he gives us the very definition for the gospel. He says, For I delivered to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again 
on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. In a nutshell, that's the gospel. That is the good news. That is the good news of salvation. That Jesus Christ uh, uh, came here. He, he, he took on a body form that he died for our sins. Right? That he was buried and that he, he was raised again on the third day. That is the gospel. You think, man, what, what's the good news about that? Well, the good news about that, about that is that because Jesus lives, because he didn't stay in that grave, right? It means that he defeated death. Right? It means that when, when, when he rose again from the dead, it means that, hey man, death no longer has power over us. Sin no longer has power over us. And what Jesus did on the cross, right, that, that substitute, the substitutionary atonement work that he did on the cross, means that when he died on the cross, he, took, he bore the sins of all humanity. And the Bible tells, Paul would tell us later on in the book of Romans, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, if you believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, you'll be saved. Meaning, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, Right, the promise of a relationship with Him here on earth, the promise of the Holy Spirit now indwelling us, the promise, the promise of us of a restored relationship with God the Father. That's why it's good news, right? It's good news. The gospel is good news, and that's the reason why we're here. Right? If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then man, I would close up the book right now, walk away, do whatever else I want to do, right? Because there would be no incentive to follow Christ. There would be no need to read this book. I could throw this away, burn it, do whatever I want with it if Christ did not raise from the dead. But because he rose from the dead, he lives and we too shall live. And so Paul says, hey man, I was separated. I was called to preach this good news of salvation, right, of eternal life, of forgiveness of sins through the cross, through Jesus Christ. He says, this is what I was called to do. This is what I'm doing. This is what, this is my, my purpose for living. Now this was Paul's message, all right, and this is our message. Right, someone might ask you, well, how do you know that, you know, when you're being tired, or how do you know that when you're preaching, you know, how do you even know that's the original message? How do you know that it didn't get uh, distorted all along the way in all the translations? Hey, Amen. Well, we're told right here that Paul in the first century, what was he preaching? The gospel. What is the gospel? Hey, Jesus Christ died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. What do we preach from this pulpit? Jesus Christ died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. The very same message, right? Nothing was lost, nothing was distorted, nothing was changed. Hey, this was Paul's message. This was our, this was our message as well. It is, right? And so, we, Paul goes on to say, he goes on to say this, he says, which, uh, again, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Which God promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Meaning, it's not a new message, right? This isn't a belief that suddenly arose and became popular in the first century, like some would say, some critics of the Bible, some critics, some critics of, of, of Christianity would say, no, you guys are crazy, right? You guys are following some man's belief that sprouted up in the first or fifth century through a, 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 a agnosticism and all these other things. And no, Paul's saying, hey, look, he says, it's not a new message. He says, it's something which God promised before through his prophets and through the Holy Scriptures. Again, this isn't something that just someone came up with. If it is, then man, that guy's a beyond genius to come up with something so amazing as this. But no, we see that it's, it was God's plan all along, right? We see that, that, that God gives this recorded promise of a Christ or a Messiah way back even in the book of Genesis. The first ever promise, recorded promise of a Messiah is in Genesis 3.15. After Adam and Eve sinned, right? And after, you know, uh, 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 and after uh, God had to clothe them with tunics of skin. And, and, and then we see that, that God condemned uh, the, the serpent for, for, for deceiving Adam and Eve. And, and we're told that God told them, he, God told them this. In Genesis 3.15 he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, or he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And really this was the first ever given uh, uh, promise of this deliverer, of this Messiah. 
way back in the book of Genesis, after, after Adam and Eve sinned. So again, Paul's saying, hey, it's not a new message. It's not something we just came up with. It's not something we just began following. following. He says, no, he says, God has promises from way before through the prophets and through the scriptures. Right? And so Paul goes on to say there in verse 3, he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul begins his letter by giving us his identity, right? Paul, bondservant, called, uh, uh, sent, right? All these things. Paul gives us his identity, and now he gives us the identity of the Christ through whom he was called by, uh, the Christ whom he serves. He says, we see that Paul confirms the person of Christ by declaring him to be the son of David. He says, hey man, it's this Jesus Christ who we're, who, who, who we're following, who we're serving, who am I giving my, my, my life to. He says, it's this Jesus, the son of David. Right. Now, interesting that, again, when we talk about the Lord Jesus, it's not, you guys have probably, probably heard this said, but it's not uh, Lord Jesus Christ, middle, uh, first, middle, last name. No, but it's a title. His name is Jesus, right? He becomes Lord when you give it, when you surrender your life to Him. And, 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 and the title Christ means Messiah, means the sent one by God. And so Paul confirms the person of Christ by declaring Him to be the Son of David. Now, for the Jews... You know, as they were looking towards this promise of a, of a Messiah, as they were looking forward towards towards this promise of God sending His 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 uh, His Christ, His Messiah, right to rule and reign, uh, there were certain qualifications that this Messiah had to meet. One, he had to be uh, in order to be a king in Israel, he had to be of the tribe of Judah, and he had to be a direct descendant of King David, which Jesus was. Jesus was born of, of the tribe of Judah, and he was a direct descendant of uh, King David. Uh, interesting that both the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke gives us two separate genealogies. One following the, 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 the family line of, of Mary, that's in the Gospel of Luke. And the other one following the, 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 the family tree of, uh, uh, of Joseph. And that's in Matthew. And so, and so the Gospels, you know, again, they give us this genealogy of Jesus tracing us all the way back to David and, and, and even all the way up to Abraham. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, this Christ, the Jesus that we're following, he's the one. He's the one who we've been waiting for. Right? He's not just some guy who came up out of nowhere declaring himself to be Christ. No. He meets all the qualifications. More than that, look, he's a descendant of David. He's of the tribe of Judah. He's God's Messiah. Right? He's the one who we promised through in the scriptures. He rose again from the dead. Now, that would confirm Jesus' right to the earthly throne, but not his claim to be Messiah. Right? In order to be Messiah, yeah, I mean, it, it took more for him to be Messiah. Now, uh, Paul confirms the deity of Christ now, meaning you know, this, 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 the, the God aspect of the Lord. God confirms the deity of Christ now by witnessing to the resurrection of Christ from the dead through the Holy Spirit. So again, he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of, the seed of David. I mean, hey, look, he's the guy, right? He's, he's in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the lineage of the kings. He was born of the seed of David, direct descendant, right? That's him. The, he, he, the earthly throne belongs to him. His Benoda, not only that, says he was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, I mean according to man's standards, but also he was declared to be the Son of God. How? With power according to the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So his lineage confirms his, his, uh, his, 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 earthly, uh, his earthly inheritance, but his resurrection confirms his spiritual inheritance, his, his spiritual uh, uh, identity. Of the tribe of 
of Judah, of the descendants of, of, of David, but also, hey, the Son of God, because he resurrected from the dead. And so we see that, that, that actually there in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 24, 23, uh, Jesus would say this. He would say, if anyone says to you, look, there's the Christ, or he says, or there he is, or here he comes. He says, do not believe, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And so interesting that, 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 that throughout Jewish history, many, uh, many people had to come and they would, they would uh, declare themselves to be Christ. Right? But they didn't meet the criteria. If, if you remember, when, when John the Baptist came on the scene and he was baptizing, uh, we're told that the religious leaders sent someone to go ask him, hey, who are you? Are you the Christ? He would say, no, no, I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah the prophet? He'd say, no, I'm not Elijah either. Said, well, who are you then? So we, could, uh, so we could give an answer to those who sent us. And he says, I'm just the voice of someone in the wilderness saying, hey, prepare the way for the Lord. Make, make, past the, make, make straight the crooked path. Clear the way for the Lord. He says, I'm just a voice in the wilderness. He says, I'm just a herald. I'm just a, I'm just a forerunner. Right? But we see that in Jewish history. That they had, they had uh, uh, on many occasions, uh, men who would come up and they would declare themselves to be Christ. Later on in the, in, in the book of Acts, we're told that, that, that as, as all the believers and as the church was growing, right, and persecution continued, we're told that, that, that one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders, you know, he would tell the rest of the Pharisees, he would say, hey, you know what, let's just leave it alone. He's, uh, he's, he would say, if it's of God, then, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flourish and God's going to bless it. And if not, then it's going to die and fizzle out, just like that one guy. He mentions some other guy. So it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't something strange for someone to come and declare himself as Christ. I mean, even today, right? I mean, how many uh, cult leaders have, 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 uh, have sprung up and declared themselves to be Christ? One famous one that, uh, that I could name that probably everyone here knows is Jim Jones, right? Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Famous Jim Jones, he came in and he declared himself to be uh, the reincarnated Christ. And he had a lot of followers and a lot of people died because of his, of, of his, of his false teachings, because, of, his, because of, those, of those cultish teachings. And so for Paul, he's saying, look, he says, we got, we got the right guy. He says, this is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the, he's the one sent by God. Direct descendant of David, of the tribe of Judah, of, of Judah, and also resurrected from the dead. So he goes on to say there in verse, in verse 4 now. He says, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. In verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name he says through him through this Christ through Jesus through him whom I serve Paul would say through him who have received grace first thing that Paul mentions as, as a gift from, from, from the Lord is grace not power not uh, boldness not uh, uh, any, anything else but he says grace the book of Romans has been called the gospel according to grace and Paul emphasizes this, this, uh, this, this grace aspect of God's, uh, of, 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 of the character of God, you know, the calling of God, this aspect of grace. He says, hey, again, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Verse 6, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Right? How does God call us? Through his grace. It's through His grace that God will call us, uh, any one of us. And it's only through His grace that we can come. Not based on our own merits. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to add to the call of God. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to add to the salvation of God through Christ. There is absolutely nothing that we can do 
to, to, to make ourselves righteous before the Father. But it's through His grace. Paul would, would write later on in the, in, the, in the book of Ephesians. He says, For grace you have been saved through faith. Says, and it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Imagine if, if, if your salvation was dependent on your own works. Man, I would hate to be in heaven because I hate to be around people who just talk about themselves all the time. And if salvation was dependent on our, on our own works or our, or our own performance, we'd all be in heaven saying, oh, how'd you get here? Oh, let me tell you, man. I, went, I, went, I preached at a stadium. Like a thousand people got saved within the first three minutes. And oh, long story short, I'm here in heaven. What about you? Oh, man, I went on this missionary trip. I was in the Amazon. Then uh, there was this tribe who no one had ever reached. And I was the first person to share Jesus with them. They all got saved. Oh, man, cool. And it's like, man, if, if, if our salvation was dependent on our own, our, on our boasting, our own works, it'd be horrible. And more than that, it'd be unattainable. Why? Because there would always be someone who did more than you. Right? But, but because salvation is based on grace, hey man, there's nothing that we can add to it. There's nothing that we can add to it at all. And so Paul would say, hey, it's through his grace that we have received his apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. We are called through his grace, by faith, through his grace. And this calling is for all people, right? It's an open invitation to the whole world. God, uh, through his grace, extends this mercy to all sinners. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through. This grace, this open invitation is for every single person. And he would say this to finish it off. Then in verse 7 he says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, as he's again beginning his letter, right? He, man, he's like he's, the gates are opening. He, he starts just charging. He just, man, starts dropping these truth bombs, these doctrinal truth bombs. And he says, to all you who are in Rome, speaking to the church, he says, beloved of God, called to be saints. And that's the same calling that, which God calls us, uh, calls us to today. Right? God has called us to be saints. Now, don't get tripped up by, by this word. I know that we hear this word a lot, right? And, and, uh, and unfortunately, this word saint has been kind of, uh, um, it's been kind of, throughout time, it's been, we see that it's been used only to refer to a specific uh, uh, person or specific people, right? Who have met certain requirements, right? Uh, uh, this title of, of saint has been given to ones who, all right, it's like if they meet this, if they did that, if they were seen by this many people, if this or that, it's just, all right, they're given the title of saints. But notice that, that Paul is actually, as he's writing to the whole body of Christ in Rome, it would have been hundreds and hundreds of believers. And he says, hey, there's 12 who are in Rome. Right? Not just certain individuals, but he says, to all the believers who are in Rome, he says, beloved of God, is you're called to be saints. And really this word saint, what it means is set apart one. And so if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, that means that God has set you apart for his purposes. So therefore, you by default, you are now a saint. You are a set-apart one, right? And so, so call, Paul calls the whole church, hey, saints, set-apart ones. That's, that's what the word means, set-apart ones. But technically, I could call myself Saint Angel because I'm set-apart. In the, in, the, in the very pure definition of that word, set-apart one. I could call you ones, hey, set-apart ones, right? Saints, set-apart ones. That's what the Lord calls us. I wouldn't call myself that, but if the Lord calls me that, I'll receive it, right? And when she does... Paul would say, hey, saints, beloved of God, right? Called to be saints. And so as he's writing to the church, Paul says, hey, we've been called to this one thing, to be set apart, set apart for God's purposes. And 
I, I believe that this is timely for the days that we're living in. Right? Because in a world that's just so full of deception, in a world that's just everyone's going with the, with the flow, in a world that's like everyone's falling to the same uh, deception, same lies, same uh, patterns. Yeah, man, what, what, what the world needs is to see people who are set apart for God's purposes. Right? We were at the outreach yesterday at the, at the carnival in Norwalk. And uh, as one guy was leaving, I was right there at the end. I was just talking to everyone who was leaving. Like, hey, what'd you think? What'd you, were you blessed? Hey, this, that, whatever. And, and I was talking to this guy, right? And he's, uh, he's like, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's like, it's really cool, you know, that, that all this was free. He's, uh, you know, he's like, you don't see that anymore. He says, everyone's charging for everything. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, we're, we're doing it for the Lord. And he's like, ah. He's like, he's like, he's like wait a minute. What's the catch? I'm like, dude, I'm like, there's no catch, man. It's free. And he's like, no, he's like, he's like, he's like there's got to be a catch. I'm like, bro, you saw it, man. It's all free. And then I begin to tell him, hey, well, we're, this is free, right? The, the church is doing this for free because the gift of salvation of God is free. And he's like, aha, I knew it. You guys are religious, right? You guys, he's like, he's like, are you asking for money? I'm like, no, man. He's like, he's like, really, we do this because the gift of God's salvation is a free gift. And I began to just share, share the gospel with him. And uh, he was just kind of just taking back. He's like, man, you guys are for real, huh? I'm like, yeah, man. I told him, and, and, and God's salvation of forgiveness of sins is free. And there's no catch with the Lord. Right? But he was just so taken away at the fact that, hey man, you guys are doing something so different than the rest of the world. Right? And unfortunately, even a lot of churches. I mean, churches take advantage of the people who do events like that to, all right, it's, you know, donate or this, that, whatever, whatever. I mean, that's, that's between them and the Lord. I'm not even going to go that route. Plus, but Paul says, hey, you are called to be saints. You are called to be set apart. And in a world like, like the one that we're living in today, when you're set apart for the Lord, trust me, someone will notice. Trust me, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And God can use that. God can use that. But He's not going to force us. But He does call us to be set apart. And He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Paul's common uh, 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 sayings to the church. He would open up his letters by saying, grace and peace. In the pastoral epistles, he would say, grace, peace, and mercy. Maybe because pastors need more mercy. <laughs> but he would open up these letters by saying, grace and peace. Known as the Siamese twins of the New Testament. You always see them together. Grace and peace. But it's always grace before peace. Why? Because you can't know the peace of God unless you've experienced the grace of God. So he says, hey, grace and peace to all of you. This is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Went right there. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be set apart for you, Lord, in the times that we're living in, Lord. In the times that we're living in, Lord, I pray, Father God, that you would give us boldness through your Holy Spirit, Lord, to live a life completely set apart for you, Lord. Whatever that may look like in our individual lives, I pray, Father God, that you would empower my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would empower them through your Holy Spirit to just live faithful lives or being set apart for you, Lord, being those good witnesses, Father. I pray that you would continue to have that perfect work in our lives and our hearts, Lord, so that people would, would, would look at us and really think, man, there's something different about him, something different about her, and that they would just look at us and see you through us, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. Bless their morning, Lord. Bless the rest of their Sunday, Lord. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.